You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Monday the 25th of October, a very un-Octoberish day here in TW11 where it's quite warm and the sun is high in the sky uh, and looking forward to a really good couple of weeks ahead. We'll be beginning our build-up to the Breeders' Cup in earnest. More news on that a little bit later on. And of course in the UK, it's the transition of the seasons between flat and jumping. Later in the programme, we'll be reflecting on a, a great weekend under both codes, talking to Julian Richmond Watson, the owner-breeder of Scope who secured his Group 1 in France yesterday, a first Group 1 as a rider for Rob Hornby, a second of the weekend for trainer Rafe Beckett, who we heard plenty from on this podcast last week. We'll also be looking back to the two star jump performances over the weekend, third time lucky in all mankind with their jockey, the champion jumps jockey, uh, Harry Skelton. Uh, But before we do any of that, uh, we need to just take stock of an interesting turn in the Bryony Frost, Robbie Dunn case that we spoke about on this podcast last week and a a notable and significant intervention from the jockeys trade body in the UK, the Professional Jockeys Association, who have released a statement within the last few moments. David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, is with me today. Dave, what's happened here? When you read through this two-page statement, there there are certain phrases that just stand out as if they'd been, uh, as if they'd been, coloured in, in red ink. The, the main one that's, that stands out to me is we call upon the BHA to bring this matter to an end, however unsatisfactory that is. And that's, uh, th- that concludes um, the, the bit in the statement about how a, uh, a fair hearing is rendered impossible when things like this are, are played out in the public domain. Now, I think that statement, we bring this uh, to, to bring the matter to an end, however unsatisfactory that is. Does that mean to let's get this hearing done straight away, please, BHA? Let's schedule it for next week and uh, let's not have any more shilly shallying around. Or does it mean, well, let's let's scrap this process, let this particular case, let's let's bring it to an end. I, I'm I, I think that is open to interpretation. Yeah, I've sought clarification on this this morning from the PJA and they have confirmed that they want this case, this process terminated because they believe the way that the process has continued has given no chance of a fair trial. Yeah, there's a there's a huge difficulty with that call then, isn't there? Because on the one hand, the the PJA's view that the the a fair hearing for Robbie Dunn is now impossible. I think lots of people will have sympathy with that view. We've had, after all, now two spreads under the two double page spreads under the byline of David Walsh in the last two editions of the Sunday Times. And I, I, I said last week on the NLD that that whether you think that renders a, a, a fair hearing impossible is one thing, but certainly it it, it, it does prejudice the case, I think, to uh, to an extent. The difficulty, though, here is that just imagine the fallout from this if the BHA were to scrap this case. This is the 
the headline case as far as many news deaths are concerned with regard to horse racing. Now, if racing's regulator then after months of investigation and the leaking of a report, then announces that we have decided to scrap this case. Can you imagine the fallout there would be from that? On, on Friday, cha outgoing champion trainer John Gosden said on the Today programme that the, the BBC had a negative slant in its coverage of horse racing. Just imagine the... Uh, the, the reaction of uh, of the BBC, several of the newspapers, well, m all the newspapers. Let's be honest. Um, if the BHA were to were to scrap this, I, I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's an impossible thing for them to do. I think they've come sufficiently far with this now that uh, that simply to close the case would be an impossibility. But I think that much as I respect the, the PJA and they've obviously had, they've obviously looked into this in, in serious depth and haven't made this statement on the hoof or in any way lightly. I think that the uh, the reaction to a shutting down of this case, uh, I, I, it, it really would be Armageddon as far as I can see, that the, uh, the reaction towards horse racing and how it views bullying and sexism, I think that uh, the the judge and jury in the wider media media would conclude that uh, racing doesn't take it seriously at all. Yeah, in discussions I've had today, David, it's very clear to me that the PJA are very conscious, very cognizant of how their intervention could be perceived. But they are absolutely keen to stress that this is not an attempt to brush this under the carpet, nor is it an attempt to not address serious issues surrounding weighing room behaviours. Rather, it is the specifics of this case and the way that it has been played out, the way that it's been managed, the way that it's been investigated, in their view, have made it impossible for there to be um, a proper hearing that is fair to, to all parties. And they are, they are keen to stress that however the statement might be perceived, they have the interests of all parties at heart. Nick, in, in no way am I suggesting that the, P, that the PJA don't take this, uh, this issue with 100% seriousness. They introduced the Code of Conduct back in May. Uh, everything, everything that they've done illustrates that they, they see this as a matter of huge importance that needs to be short, sorted out in both the short term and for the longer term. And I, I'm not in any way disputing that. I, my point is that what the PJA want to happen as a result of this and what I believe would happen, i.e. the reaction from uh, particularly news organisations who see racing as, a, as an endless font of 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 negative stories, I, I think that the reaction would be very different to what the PGA would envisage. Dave, over the weekend, four European Group 1 races in the UK and France and Luxembourg, the headline act, winning the Verton Futurity as the favourite for Aidan O'Brien, yet another winner in that race for him. Horse being talked up for the Classics next year. Is he the real deal or not? What a question. Uh, I thought he was an authoritative winner of the race. Um, it was evident that he'd learned an awful lot from uh, the, the Beresford Stakes at the Curra. Of course, he won a Killarney maiden, then was off 
uh, for a few weeks before winning the Beresford. I thought he ran like an equine Norman Wisdom that day. I thought he was absolutely all over the shop. And it, 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 it to say that he looked rough-hewn was a huge understatement. I thought he was much more polished at Doncaster. Um, in terms of his... So he's obviously the, the, the standout two-year-old uh, with regard to a mile and upwards in 2022. Um, I think it was hard to fault that performance, whether it was a, a vintage running of the Verton Futurity Trophy, I think is uh, open to debate, but that's not Luxembourg's fault. I thought he did it very well. In terms of next year, um, Ryan Moore and Aidan O'Brien were on message afterwards to say that a mile would be no problem for the son of Camelot, who of course 10 years ago won the Burton Futurity Trophy en route to wins in, in the 2000 Guineas and the Derby. Um, they were apt to just opine that they thought a mile would be no problem for this horse. I think next year it would be a question of getting away with it over a mile, as Camelot did before he steps up in distance. Um, there is one, uh, one thing I thought that a question that was worth asking, and that is certainly with regard to the Derby and arguably with regard to the dip at Newmarket in the 2000 Guineas as well um, at the end of next April. And that is just how this horse will cope when uh, the accent is on balance. He's very tall and uh, he, he certainly doesn't look the ideal type when one thinks of horses going around Epsom, you normally think of a more uh, compact model for that race. And also, we know that not every horse handles the dip at Newmarket as well. I, I suspect that if he could, Aidan O'Brien wouldn't have minded getting a little bit of practice into Luxembourg uh, over the Roly Mar, but obviously that's not the way uh, things have panned out. So in a, a long and uh, rather winding answer to what was a, a, a very to the point question. I was very impressed by what he did on Saturday. I'm impressed by what he's done uh, this year. But with regard to the classics, uh, his current prices, I think I'd rather leave him alone. Well, after what's been an incredibly busy week of fighting the cause of the National Trainers Federation, uh, Rafe Beckett has managed to train two Group 1 winners in France, Angel Bleu on Saturday, and then yesterday, Scope in the pre-Royal Oak, a really strong staying performance in the colours of breeder, Julian Richmond-Watson, who joins me now. Uh, Julian, I'm guessing they were hoisting the bunting at your lawn stud last night. Absolutely. Very, very exciting to have you know, your own homebred winner. Really, really very exciting. And the scope's been really promising this season. Has run a number of nice races, Lingfield Derby Trial, and then in the Voltager, and a quite promising run in the St Ledger. But at any point, did you think, as a three-year-old, he'd be winning a Group One race? No, but Rafe always had great faith in him, and we just had a few problems in the summer with him uh, after the Lingfield Derby Trial. I don't think we realised quite good a, what a good race that was because we were we were behind the Derby winner, and, uh, and I think it was then it was a bit of a rush preparation for the Voltager. Uh, and we just got a bad run on the ledger. He just jumped out and was at the back. So I was always hopeful, but I was hoping to be in, in, the, in the frame yesterday, not, not win it, but uh, very exciting. And did you manage to get to France yesterday, or were you watching from home? No, we all went. So unusual for me. I don't often get to the races. I'm too busy. But uh, uh, Sarah, my wife, insisted that we went, so we were all there. Uh, which is a, a, lovely, a lovely family triumph. Um, uh, just talk me through how you felt as they turned for home and, and, and sort of what, what you were all experiencing through those last couple hundred yards? Well, 
I thought he was going to get swamped. I thought that I thought Rob Hornby rode a brilliant race, exactly as what as we discussed. He'd walked the track beforehand, and as as you saw, it was his first ever ride at Longchamp, which was quite brave. And we did discuss putting up a French jockey, but I I felt keenly to stay loyal to the, to him. So he positioned the horse beautifully. I just thought turning into the straight, here come the others, here comes the cavalry, and then he he started to draw away from them. And from actually from about two furlongs out, I always felt he held the second horse, and in the end he was going away from him. So it wasn't quite so desperate at the last two furlongs as it might have been. Given your encyclopedic knowledge of this family, which has served you so well down the years, what sort of horse do you see him as next year? I mean, the the future must be incredibly bright. He's 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 pretty sparsely furnished. I mean, if you look at him, he's he's undoubtedly been growing all season and. Uh, he looks like he could grow into a, a better frame or into his frame better than he has already. So it's really encouraging. And every race he's run, he's always finished well. Even as a two-year-old, he just got up on the line to beat Mojo Star. And um, every race he finishes. So if we can get him in the right place in the race, I'm very confident he'll finish to the other end. Um, so that, that's the really exciting thought. And his, uh, the whole family just keeps on improving generally. I mean, do you see him as an out-and-out stayer or not? Yes. Yeah, I think he needs two miles. I think two miles is, will be absolutely perfect for him, whether he gets further as anybody's guess. And for, for, from your point of view, it's the gift that keeps giving, really, because you can start having all sorts of fun with, with what you do with the, the other members of the, of the family. What, what, are, what, are breeding, what breeding plans have been changed by yesterday's success, if any? Well, his mother is 17. She's, she's not in foal. She foaled very late. So I'm going to have to think really hard as to where I send her for perhaps where she may have a couple more foals if I'm lucky with her. Um, but I have got the two the two sisters who are both listed winners um, at home, and I've got a filly foal by Night of Thunder. So I've got lots of options uh, to, to to think about and um, and to sit down now and look at the, the pedigree books and study them in the evening. Julian Richmond Watson, there. Uh, congratulations to him and all the team at Lawn Stud. Uh, Dave Yates is still with me. Dave, James Ferguson trained his first Group 1 winner over the weekend with the smart two-year-old El Bodegon at Saint-Cloud. James, the the son of John Ferguson, for many years at at the right hand of Sheikh Mohammed at the head of the Godolphin organisation. Yes, and we were were talking at Glorious Goodwood with James Ferguson. He had his first Group winner when Mise-en-Seine won the, the Group 3 Prestige Stakes. And now... El Bodegon has given him his first uh, win at the highest level, a horse who'd been successful in France previously. And yeah, uh, got uh, got classic quotes. Uh, and why not? A horse who looks... I, I, I wonder to what extent uh, this horse will be suited by cutting the ground or even ground dependent in 2022. But it's uh, it's a... A huge achievement for James Ferguson. He's just coming to the end of his second season, or second full season with a, a license. His first runners were right at the end of uh, 2019, and so again, to to rack up a, a top level victory in that time is uh, is something to be very proud of. And his mise en scène will head to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf, and I think she'd have a pretty good chance as well. Just a, a quick line, Dave. I know you've been collecting. Aidan O'Brien Breeders' Cup runners. What have you got in your basket so far? Yeah, I mean, the the, the main thing really was that love is over the uh, the temperature that she had uh, that ruled her out of the arc. Aidan said that he was 
initially aiming her at the champion states after she couldn't run in Paris, but that her blood showed that she had had the temperature, therefore was not uh, 100% over it. He said that, you know, modern methods these days allow one to uh, to progress a horse through uh, a condition like that much more quickly than was the case previously. And that she was she was really the headline act. She's she's going to have entries in both the Fillion Mare Turf and the Turf. Uh, Bally Doyle have got a clutch of entries for the Turf, including um, Bolshoi Ballet, Broom and Japan and Mogul. Uh, but he said that it, it, it was possible that uh, she could still go to the uh, the turf love because it's worth an awful, awful lot of money. He added that that Broom and Japan would go on uh, to the Japan Cup after they've run at Del Mar. I think the the, the main bits of the other were that Order, Austra- Order of Australia would defend his title in the mile where he'd be accompanied by Mother Earth. And just a, a footnote on that, Joseph O'Brien, who of course has trained and ridden Breeders' Cup winners, uh, said to me yesterday when reflecting on the victory of State of Rest in the Cox Plate over the weekend, what a, another remarkable training performance that was, uh, that he could have Thundering Nights and Thunder Moon going to going to Del Mar, and, and they'll make a decision on that today for the Fillion Mare Turf and the Mile, respectively. And Tiona, just to confirm, Roger Varian suggested that it would be either the Turf or the Fillion Mare Turf for her. So all those bits of the Breeders' Cup jigsaw falling into place. Right, we'll take a 90-degree turn now, talk about the jumping over the weekend. With due respect to Cheltenham, the star performance came at Aintree yesterday. All Mankind in the colours of the Gredley family winning for Dan and Harry Skelton. Champion jockey Harry Skelton also had the privilege of riding third time lucky to a fluent success in the big two-mile novice chase at Cheltenham on Friday, which elicited some serious superlatives. I've been catching up with the rider and asked him first of all about All Mankind and his love for that tenacious horse. He's just such a tough horse, you know. Um, he, um, he he doesn't really fit into the rule book of a racehorse. You know, he's, he does it all sort of very differently. But he came to us very keen off the flat and, um, you know, he's not over big. Um, but he's just got a massive heart and um, he tries really hard. Yeah, now, what has gone into turning him into the horse that he is? What what kind of work at home has gone into making him into a top-class steeplechaser? Um, well, the main first problem was about trying to just settle him down. Um, he just wanted to do everything as fast as he could. Um, we just you know, just did a lot um, on our on our round gallop uh, on a and just you know taught him to just sort of try and relax and just breathe um, and then jumping um, just with, with with jumping he, he so fast as obstacles are with it made it so difficult for himself, but. Um, he's taught himself really. Um, you know, very, very accurate. It was fences sort of as a novice, um, and hurdles as a juvenile was faster than any horse would probably want to go at one. So he's taught himself to be very quick and very clever. So he's a he's a naturally intelligent horse. That's, that's what you're saying. Oh yeah, very much so. And now at home, you know, he's a lot more relaxed. Um, even at home before before he'd go on the gallop, he'd never turn a hair. Um, you, Anyone could ride him, talk, you know, gallop. Um, but the more he did, the, the keener he got. And um, but now he's, he's settling, you know, settled right down. Everything you ask, you know, you, you bring him out any morning and ask him any sort of work, he'd do it. He'd eat up every night, never leave a nut. Um, 
he's just tough. Um, right, you are the reigning champion jockey. You also rode the two most impressive winners at the weekend, him and third time Lucky. What next for third time Lucky? You look brilliant at Cheltenham. Go back to the Paddy Power meeting for two mile novice chase, then to the Henry Eight, and then um, you know probably the spring. Um, yeah, we mine then. Um, he he looked very good. Did he feel as good as he looked? When I looked round after three out, basically, you know, I just knew I had to go over the last two. Um, I was basically pulling them up from turning in, um, you know, just making sure I got over the last two. But I mean, for the last two and a half furlongs, I basically just thrown him down. Uh, what are you most looking forward to over the next few days? Um, Shambler is going really well at home. Done loads of work. Um, we'd be looking forward now to the Charlie Hall with him, and then on. To- power protector at so very lucky got some good ones to go with Harry Skelton the Skeltons are out of the blocks fast from one current champion jockey to a former champion jockey under a different code Sylvester D'Souza former champion flat jockey in the UK has ended his association or his association has been ended whichever way you look at it amicably apparently with the King Power Racing organisation uh, Dave was that a surprise to you did you see it coming when we talk about a parting of the ways between a jockey and a trainer or a jockey and an owner. Um, I think the, the, the obvious or the, the instinctive inference to make is that, is that the trainer or the owner isn't particularly happy with the jockey's work. And I, I'm not sure that that's an inference that I, I would draw in this case. I, if you look at the, um, the, the number of trainers that King Power Racing have on their uh, on their roster for, for 2021. I, I counted 13. Andrew Boarding, Sir Michael Stout, Tim Eastby, Richard Hannon, Roger Varian, Rafe Becker, Ed Walker, Kevin Ryan, Carl Burke, James Fanshawe, Tom Dascombe. And, and then there are two more in Ireland. And I think it's just pretty hard for a jock who is who is signed up to an owner to keep tabs or to or to familiarise him or herself with the the horses that are in all those stables. I, I think that takes a lot of doing. It's also the case, and one should one has to mention this, that during the three years uh, of that contract, that Andrew Balding has been has become very much King Power Racing's principal trainer, um, and and it may well be we we know that of the the jockeys that he would ordinarily use. Obviously, Asheen Murphy still gets a lot of rides in uh, the King Power Racing colours uh, for King's Clear. It may be that Sylvester D'Souza is not top of his list. Uh, but I, as I say, I'm, I'm not sure that this is a case that, uh, that the jockey's done anything wrong. I just think that this is a relationship that's been difficult to manage. And as a result, it hasn't really worked out. So it's a week uh, since Josh Moore had a, another really nasty fall at Plumpton and incurred some pretty significant injuries which require surgery. Uh, he still hasn't been operated on and it's been put back several times. Uh, Josh's mum, Jane, contacted me yesterday and, and joins me now. Jane, first of all, um, how, are, how are Josh's spirits? It must have been a very, very difficult and frustrating week for him. Yeah, he's... he. He's feeling pretty low, to be quite honest, but he, he's managing. Um, he was able, actually, to have a visit from his little boy yesterday, which really lifted his spirits. Um, but it's it's hard when you're used... To, when you're a sports person, you're an athlete, you're used to be... You, you're, you're busy every day, you're moving, but just to lie there at 30 degrees, he can't do anything except look at the ceiling. Luckily, he's got his phone... 
and that's about it. You know, he, he can't sit up. But the upsetting thing is, is that being prepared for surgery four times and then being let down, that is hard. And Friday, he was absolutely convinced it was going to take place. Um, he sent text, thumbs up. It's definitely happening. They've been to see me. Uh, the the team were ready. The spinal surgeon was there to, to, to operate. His whole team were assembled. And then it got called off. That was hard, really hard, because you kind of think, oh, well, they're definitely going to do it before the weekend. They want to get this man out of the hospital anyway. They need the beds. But at the last minute, got pulled, pulled. And that was really, really hard for Josh to take and, and us as well. I, I know you understand and, and you've had so much experience over the last few years. You, you understand fully that the pressures that the, the NHS are under, particularly particularly at the moment. But, but do you feel that there's anything more that the sport could do in circumstances like this to ensure that these operations somehow get uh, performed more quickly? This is, this is where I, I don't have the answer because every professional jockey, as far as I know, has to have private health insurance. But in these situations, it doesn't help because no private hospitals are equipped for uh, the trauma surgery. That they haven't got the equipment to to take to do the trauma surgery that is required in this case. You have to go to a trauma unit, and that's going to be in a major hospital such as the Royal Sussex County Brighton, one of the London hospitals, maybe Southampton. You have no choice. But obviously, his aftercare will be followed up privately so that does reduce the pressure on the nhs but it's you know it's he's probably falling between a rock and a hard place that it's serious enough that he has to be on a trauma unit not quite serious enough that if something else comes in he's just going to be pushed down the list uh, another day so it's it's difficult i i really don't know the answer i don't know if there should be some kind of coordination between the hospitals right well if you can't do it today we can. Is is there a way that I mean? Apparently, they were an anaesthetist down on Friday. That was yeah. You've got a team ready to go. A lot of time and money wasted. Is there any? If someone had said, "God, I think I'd have gone out and tried to find an anaesthetist myself," you know. But do you see where I'm coming from here? It's 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 not an easy question to answer. I really don't know how it can be managed. And and as I said, I I know that you know, and and you are a realist as as much as anybody I I know. But as a as a mother, and I know you've had to go through an awful lot with with Jamie, your other son, over the the last few years, and Ryan's had his injuries as well. Uh, it must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, because you just want to get them, you just want to get them back on their feet, get home, start recovery, go back to doing the job that they do. But with each day that passes, it kind of chips away a little bit at your confidence, I think. The longer you're lying there, you know, it's, um, it's hard. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. And, you know, Jamie had the identical injury about 14 months ago. I think there's been several other jockeys uh, in this last year who've had the same injury, actually. And it's, it's strange, but um, you just want to get them fixed get these broken boys fixed and out well we echo those sentiments jane thanks for for talking to me this morning and all i can do is hope that he has his surgery today fingers crossed i shall make a phone call shortly and find out or i just might be down there knocking on doors jane moore there and uh, for someone as as down to earth as jane you can really hear a mother's anguish and 
and real desperation on behalf of her son who is having to wait for this for this operation. I suppose the question, Dave, is in situations like this where your private health insurance doesn't really count for much because, you know, you, you are then you are in a, an urgent care system within the NHS. Is there something that can be done to expedite operations um, on the part on the part of of racing? Is there anything racing can do, do you think? Well, the obvious answer to that is that at the moment it doesn't look like there is. Um, this is a this is a really uh, distressing case of, of Josh Moore. The, the the fall from Botox has was at Plumpton last Monday. Now we know that the pressure that the NHS has been under, and that as a result, that non urgent cases have built up and, and have taken a, a back seat, for want of a better phrase, as a result of COVID-19. Now, whether you consider this a non-urgent case is a moot point because it, the, the fracture that Josh Moore has is an unstable fracture. That means that essentially his movement has to be restricted so that he's, he's, he's had to lie as still as he can uh, for the last well nearly seven days now which is which is a really distressing situation it goes without saying that all of us send um josh and his family uh our best wishes in in this situation it, it's it's it, it really is an intolerable situation but in answer to your question at the moment it doesn't look as though racing has uh a um a mechanism in place whereby a, a, a situation like this could have been avoided and, and, and Josh Moore would have received treatment earlier than he has, as as Jamie uh, said over the weekend, you know, by the time we get to Monday, it's a week whereby his movement has been restricted to the extent that it has. And, and that's obviously a, that's a that's an unthinkable situation, which which means that his recovery will be slower and uh, the vicious circle continues. So um, hopefully, I'm just hoping he can he can have this operation today, and maybe somebody steps forward with uh, with an idea as to as to how this could be avoided for elite athletes in in future. Uh, David, just remains for me to ask you for a tip for today. Yeah, we're going to Newcastle for the seven o'clock race and glorious Rio, a four year old trained by Stella Barkley, three from three over five furlongs at Gosforth Park, sank in the mud at Pontefract a week ago, but I hope can put matters to right as he returns to his favourite hunting ground. Number five in the seven o'clock race at Newcastle, Glorious Rio. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. That was Monday, October the 25th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.